Welcome back to Read It or List It. I'm Phoebe. And I'm Ashley. And today we are back with another author interview. Today we welcome Georgia Clark to the show whose latest book, Island Time, just released on June 14th. And when Phoebe sat down to speak with Georgia, it was in May, the week that the leaked Supreme Court opinion draft came out. And of course, we are releasing this episode, which was the you know the episode that we were planning to release this week anyways, uh, is coming on the tale of Roe v. Wade being reversed. And is a book that we're really excited to promote and talk about Georgia's work. It also is incredibly timely because the book does touch on motherhood and you know, our autonomy in making decisions and love as well. And so we just wanted to take a moment before we got into this author interview to just express that whatever you're feeling right now, wherever you are in the world, that the world is heavy right now and things are tough. And a book like Georgia's reminds us how important it is to care about others and to exercise empathy and that reading is and always will be political. Exactly. This is a book that celebrates motherhood but also dives into the fact that it should be a choice and it is a choice and it also celebrates queer love and love in all forms at all stages in life. So, if you haven't read the synopsis of Island Time yet, the Kellys are messy, loud, loving Australians. The Lees are sophisticated, aloof, button-upped Americans. They have nothing in common except for the fact that their daughters are married. When a nearby volcano erupts during their short vacation to a remote tropical island off the coast of Queensland, the two families find themselves stranded together for six weeks. With only two island employees making up the rest of their party, everyone is forced to question what or who they really want. Island Time is a sumptuous summer read that dives into queer romance, family secrets, ambition, parenthood, and a bird-chasing bromance. This sexy, sun-soaked paradise of white sandy beaches, crystal clear waters, and lush rainforest will show you it's never too late to change your destiny. Here's Phoebe's interview with Georgia Clark. Welcome back to Read It or List It. We're here again today with Georgia Clark, whose new book, Island Time, releases on June 14th. Welcome, Georgia. I'm so excited to chat with you today. Oh, thanks. I'm so excited to be here, too. I had so much fun reading Island Time and also felt like I kind of read it at the perfect time. It's always a uh, a slippery slope of like when, because I get sent these books pretty early, but you want to keep sure the material is fresh for an interview. And I just thought I was reading this last week when everything came out with leaked proposal mm-hmm. from the Supreme mm-hmm. Court. And I don't know if this was your intention, but I really found that this was like, a book about motherhood and Mm -hmm. the choice of motherhood in some way. Maybe it was just more at the forefront of my mind because of everything that has been in the news. Um, But it was a book that came 
at the very perfect time for me. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so a lot has changed since we last spoke uh, when it had to be you released. Congratulations on the new addition to your family. Thank you. <laughs> How has life been? It's been great. Yeah, it's been great. Uh, true to a lot of truth in fiction and, and you know, what you're, I guess, picking up on, the book is very honest and working through my own personal issues at the time about motherhood, fears of motherhood and what that would mean. Uh, the character who is struggling with those questions in a queer relationship, she's married to a woman, as am I. But unlike the characters in the book, I, my wife and I had a baby uh, 10 weeks ago. So we are in baby land right now. <laughs> which is really fun, more fun than I expected, actually. Uh, And it's just, yeah, it's really a joy. Our daughter is extremely cute and and very fun and adorable. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. I know. uh, It's something that my husband and I have been chatting about more recently, and I could really relate to Maddie, Matilda, and Mm -hmm. the feeling of, like, you know, being ambitious and having these big goals But you also had these, I've always felt like, because I come from an acting background that I had these like two lanes of like the traditional family that I always wanted, because that's what I grew up with. But then also having these like huge ambitions for my career and like, how do those things intersect? And especially like I'm turning 30 this year. So I feel like those thoughts are just coming faster and faster. So I don't know, I really could relate to Maddie and I really appreciated the uh that honesty that we got from her yeah so brutally honest uh to like I feel like Maddie is a character who is honest to a a fault or or at one point she sort of has in more of her uncut unfiltered thoughts she sort of says I would never say any of this publicly or she thinks I would never think I would never you know put this out into the world publicly but privately that's what I think and then of course there's a great irony because this is a novel that I'm writing. And so this is going out into the world and it's just kind of that that's my own, a lot of Maddie's thoughts and fears are my own deep thoughts and fears, but I would never like put them on Instagram or put them in a newsletter mm. or, or put them out there. But fiction is the place to do that because, you know, truth in fiction is so powerful and you, you kind of have the cover of your characters <laughs> expressing <laughs> things that you yourself would never want to just come out and say openly. Right. And I think that's why um, the, that's the power of fiction, because sometimes when we read, I mean, memoir nonfiction is incredibly powerful and anyone who can tell their story in such a raw way, I absolutely commend because I am very private. So I don't think I could do that. Um, but having these characters I think makes readers feel safer almost to think I've thought that before too. And like open up. Um, There's also just a great uh, commentary on like marriage. And I mean, that's what you do so well, creating these huge casts of characters that you absolutely just fall in love with. And, you know, you can see bits of yourself in all of them, even if you can't relate to them in every single way. So just like the commentary on like communication and marriage and like, Mm. um, you know, especially with like Jules and Glenn and Ludmila, is that who you say her name? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, And, you know, the differences in their relationship. And then obviously I loved the whole cast of characters. (laughs) Oh, thank you. 
So obviously the book takes place on an island. And I remember you telling me about the synopsis for this book last year. And I was like, oh my gosh, that just sounds like exactly what we all need right now, an escape. But you were inspired because you couldn't go home to Australia for so long. So, which I can't, I mean, my parents live seven hours away from me now and not being able to see them was difficult. And they were not across the world. The setting is fictional that we know um, based off of your acknowledgements, but it's also like the the star of the book based on a real place. Mm-hmm. Um, so what did you lean on to capture this place so perfectly? So yes, the island is fictional, but the area of the world that it's set in is, is real. And I created the island to be geographically accurate to the area. The setup is that two families, one American, one Australian, who have nothing in common except for the fact their daughters are married, are heading to this island for a what's meant to be a three-day bucket list vacation to spend some more time together and get a bit more comfortable with each other. Uh, and then a nearby volcano off the coast of Numea explodes, wiping out travel in the area and forcing them to be stranded together for six weeks. The island is called Monday, which means pretty in the language of the Bachelor people who would be the Indigenous tribe whose land it would have been traditionally. That's their area. And I know the area because that's where I spent my summer. Summers as a kid, it's where my grandparents live um, on the coast. My mother lives there now in Harvey Bay, it's called, which is part of Queensland, a northern state in Australia. And it's a really special place. It's so beautiful. And I, you know, have a connection to it because of my family. And so I, when I was creating my island, I wanted it to be small so the characters were sort of forced to be in close proximity to each other and could also kind of walk from one end of the island to the other. There's no roads on the island. It's car-free. And there's only a limited number of rental houses to keep Mm -hmm. the tourists that visit in order to sort of financially sustain the island um, and and the people that own it, the bachelor people. Uh, year round it's a a very small population and when the volcano happens it's just the two families that are there plus one on island employee and one indigenous guy who was camping on the island at the time fishing and so I used the like flora and fauna and geographical makeup of a nearby island called Gurry or Fraser Island to build out my island which was it's that island and my island are extremely geographically rich there's rainforests and mangroves and eucalyptus woodland and of course the coast like the beach landscape and a lot of quirky flora and fauna Australia is very well known for having a lot of um, interesting birds and animals (laughs) so I wanted to include a lot of those as well because I know American readers are really interested in that uh, in order to create this beautiful place uh, that is that has cultural significance um, to as well as just being a a, a sort of geographically rich and interesting place to sort of explore and the island itself is like a narrator of the book and is certainly a presence um as well as our as as our cast yeah that's I felt like it added this like bird's eye view tone almost to Mm -hmm. the book where like the uh like the island was watching them and like telling us about it I don't know like feel the island like breathing and like living on its own which I I really loved because as a white American I feel like I'm 
learning every day just more and more about the atrocities of colonialism. And that's a huge thing that you comment on in the book as well. And that you reached out to individuals and organizations uh, to help make this as authentic as possible. So can you talk a little bit about the indigenous people or organizations that you talked to for this book? Yeah, I knew that I wanted, as soon as I had the idea for the book, setting came first. So the island came first. That was the first thing that sort of ushered me into this story. And as soon as I knew that I wanted to set a story on a, on a tiny island off the coast of Australia, that it would have to have um, an Indigenous component. Like we would have to talk about the land because all of Australia is belongs to Indigenous people and was stolen from them. Uh, when uh, Australia was quote unquote discovered, re-invaded um, in the late 1700s by the Brits. And so I knew that I wanted to, you know, introduce the idea of, of native title and of land ownership and land rights to American readers who get, probably don't have like an in-depth understanding of that, you know, of a different country. And so One of the ways in which the book really came alive for me as I started my research, I like to talk to people for research, just like real human beings. You can read books, you can read articles, you can listen to podcasts, and I sort of do all that as well. But I really like getting people's personal histories Mm -hmm. and their personal takes on things. And I did speak to a number of people, but the one person who really helped the book come alive was a man named Luke Barrowcliffe, who I just cold emailed and he lives is a is a um an indigenous man who lives sort of near where the book is set in a place called Gimpy and he I always start with like can I just do like a 10 minute phone call like a 15 minute phone call just like something very low you know key and easy and we got on the phone together and he just talked for like an hour and a half um in like monologue like I just asked like tell me about your life like that's always like my first kind of question and his life was so similar to my my Indigenous character, Jara, already. Um, there was like some real parallels between they were sort of the same age-ish and had a similar background and his mother was part of the stolen, like my, my friend Luke, his mother was part of the stolen generation, which was um, a generation of children who were taken from their parents by um, white Australia and forced to like raise in all of these Christian missions that only closed in the 70s. Like the history is very fresh. So Luke was fundamental in in creating not just this character, but he really helped create um, sort of the Indigenous components of the island. Like there's a cleansing ceremony that he like designed for me and, and like mm. that happens as part of the recovery from the tsunami that kind of, even though no one on the island um, is significantly hurt. There's a lot of plants and animal loss um, of life. And so there's a cleansing ceremony that happens. And, and just the, we sort of designed the houses together um, as far as how to build in the sort of Indigenous component to there's like quotes that are stenciled um, from like cultural leaders uh, just as part of the decor and um, there's like boomerangs and and things that are part of Indigenous culture that feature in the houses. So if this place was to exist and if it was under exclusive Native title, which means that the Bachelor people would be able to own, design, profit from, like run the land, how might that happen? Which was a really 
like intellectually rich experience for me and certainly culturally Mm -hmm. um, rich experience. And it was, you know, a conversation that lasted over many months. And I I read all of the chapters um, that featured um, certainly Dara, the Indigenous character, and um, the sort of makeup of the island relevant to Indigenous history allowed to him. And it was really moving and (laughs) it was a really wonderful experience. So I, I hope I did a, a good job in that, and that it was, the, and that readers find it, you know, emotional and 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 educational as well. I think so. I mean, I think that's such an aspect uh, that you know we don't really consider when we go to these beautiful places. Like I know there are a lot of indigenous uh, Hawaiian people right now who are asking people not to travel to the island. It just can't you know, that's, it just perpetuates the dependency on tourism uh, when, you know, the the land just can't sustain it anymore. And it's such a privileged thing for us to visit these beautiful places. So I really appreciated how, um, especially at the end, I don't, I won't give it away, but you know, Mm -hmm. the decision that Glenn makes at the very end Mm -hmm. uh, was such, it was, it didn't feel performative. It felt like he had like genuinely learned something from their time there. So I don't know. I, I really loved it. How did it feel? I know you got to go home to Australia recently. Mm -hmm. Um, How did it feel to finally return there? Oh, it was great. As I was flying in, um, there was a rainbow, uh, like, hucking over the coast and I it was which was so beautiful and you know when you fly from LA which I fly I live in New York so it's New York to LA LA to Sydney um it's you know you fly overnight and so you are landing in the very early morning as the sun is rising and you've been flying over the like ocean for 14 hours or 15 hours or something so it's this sort of startling sight to suddenly come across land in sort of feels like in the middle of nowhere and and as the plane touched down I cried and I which I've never done like I'm not mm. that's not really my I mean I do cry all the time but like I, I I was so moved to be back and and it does really make you see everything with new eyes uh, which is always a great experience for any human but particularly for an artist and because you're just really paying attention in a different way and then seeing my family and and sort of remembering all the things about Australia that make it so quirky and Mm -hmm. and um and unusual it was it was wonderful so sorry (laughs) uh if you could hear my dog's actually an Australian shepherd so (laughs) excited excited that I'm hearing a a fellow countryman yeah she's an Australian shepherd so she's like oh I I I hear my my homeland so that is absolutely uh, magical I uh, we actually watched a um a reality show over like during the early days of quarantine that was basically people in Australia who had like Airbnbs and mm-hmm. um there so you got to travel like throughout the whole country basically Ooh, and uh cool. um you got to see all the, like, there in uh Bondi Beach and Byron Bay given that uh it takes place in such a wonderful it, it's this like slice of life type of piece um island time where where we get to see this group of people for a given amount of time 
but then we still have this, like, I don't know, it felt like almost cinematic in a way, Mm -hmm. uh, where we still had the intimacy that we were used to in your work, but it wasn't like the hustle and bustle of New York. Um, so it was this like sort of an intentional, uh, thing that you did when you were writing or did it just sort of, you know, come out of the, uh, the necessity of, you know, trying to get yourself home when you couldn't be there? A little of both. It's, you know, the a novel will always be integrating, you know, character, setting, theme, all of these kind of big ideas to, to work together to create an experience for a reader. And as I was setting about ideating the book, I knew it wouldn't be set in New York. I knew it wasn't, I was, I started writing in 2020 and New York was still healing and and figuring itself out. And, you know, we'd all been through a very traumatic experience with, you know, being in the the eye of a global pandemic uh, for some very frightening months. And so I couldn't just turn around and write a peppy rom-com set in Brooklyn uh, without, acknowledging the pandemic and and it just didn't feel appropriate and so I knew that the book would be I just asked the question where do I want to be in my imagination where do I want to go and and then necessarily the cast is so small because it was going to be a story of people being essentially in isolation together quarantining together but without the pandemic as the reason why Mm -hmm. and that because there is only a handful of people in the book um, that we wouldn't sort of have that hustle and bustle. And also because the book is, was responding to the pandemic, that hustle and bustle, which I was living pre-pandemic and then everyone in New York was, was on pause. Like we weren't living a life of hustle and bustle at the time. And even now, like as we're sort of like gearing back up again, life is different. You know, mm-hmm. life is a little slower, slower paced. And so... I don't have the capacity for like the social stuff that I used to do. No, neither do I actually. I'm like, when I'm like Friday night, Saturday night and Sunday doing something, absolutely not one. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And now I have a baby. It's like, yeah, one a week. It's (laughs) so much. So I mean, hopefully it'll be, you know, a great read, a relaxing read, as well as being sort of that one of the things I love about romantic comedy now, like specifically now in this um, day and age is like popular rom-coms offer both a fun, sexy, lighthearted, light, like, like beautifully light experience uh, in terms, as opposed to dark, like a dark read, um, a, a hopeful read, as well as being really like being able to touch on much more deeper issues being able to explore more sort of meaningful things, vital representation, uh, you know, all of the kind of romantic comedies that I really like and the writers I like are, you know, fantastic writers writing about, you know, big ideas, but also making me laugh, making me swoon, making me feel good, making me feel hopeful about the future of the human race, which uh, is touch and go uh-huh. <laughs> in any given day. <laughs> so it's such a fun genre to, to work in for sure. Yeah. And I mean, all of the characters, uh, I mean, I always say this because I read so many rom-coms and so much romance and I'm always like, why am I drawn to this? And I just think it's the most universal thing like we all are living 
you know, everyone lives like a simple life, but we have these like big ideas and big dreams and, you know, the, the journeys that we go on aren't necessarily, you know, not everybody, you know, creates the next like life changing, you know, not everybody can create the iPhone or can create, you know, Instagram or Facebook or whatever, but that doesn't mean that our journeys are any less important. So yeah, I don't know. I loved all of the, all of the characters. (laughs) Uh, Were your friends and family excited that you wrote a book and set in Australia? Yeah. Yeah. I was, I do a weekly call with my family in Australia. That's something that started over the pandemic. And so they've been kind of there along for the ride of all of the creation of it. And um, I'm sending them copies of the ARC. I want them to read the, like the paper book as opposed to the the PDF because I think that's like a nice experience and I'm (laughs) excited to see how they react to some uh, of the more you know personal not too personal but just the personal elements of like my life and and there's elements of my family that are woven into the story which I'm (laughs) excited to see their reaction to Yeah, it's, uh, I don't know, I have my my paper copy right here, it's, you know, nobody can ever see me when they're listening to this, but I always find myself like stroking it and like holding it <laughs> when it's close by, like but during these interviews, because it is a different experience to get to. Uh, I do love reading on my Kindle, but there is a different experience of having the physical book in your hands. Yeah. Um, okay, so speaking of the writers that you love, do you have an anticipated book for this coming summer. I realized in my notes, I wrote 2021 and it's May. <laughs> How do I not know? Summer 2022. <laughs> 2022. Um, yeah, I'm right now I'm reading Casey McQuiston's new I just book. Finished I kissed Shara Wheeler, which is Casey's first YA. And it's so fun. Of course, would we expect anything else from Casey? Um, I love their writing and, uh, you know, a huge fan of Fred White and Royal Blue, One Last Stop. And so I think that I Kiss Shara Wheeler is going to be a big YA title this summer. I don't usually read YA, so it's nice to be reading something a little bit different. Mm. I'm sure Emily Henry's new book, Book Lovers, will be just as big and delightful um, as Beach Read and people we meet on vacation. Uh, and that that's probably going to be a book you're going to see all over the beach this summer. Mm-hmm. I also really recommend um, Tia Williams' Seven Days in June comes out in paperback next month, or maybe it's already out. I absolutely loved I Seven Days in book. June. It's, yeah, a, a beautiful love story. Uh, you know, talk about vital representation. Uh, it's set in the Black literary community here in New York and is funny and gritty and sexy and and dark and, and everything you want in a great read. So I really recommend that uh, as well. Awesome. I love, I mean, I've, I've read all three of those books and I can co-sign. <laughs> um, I love Casey's new book. It, it's a, uh, I wish that book existed when I was a teenager for just mm-hmm. like so many of the characters just I think that dialogue of clarity on like, um, you know, your, your sexual identity your gender identity, like there's just no, things don't have to be black and white. And I think that's so important, especially for young people to understand, like allowing young people to like go at, at the, go through those ebbs and flows of who I am, I think doesn't just necessarily have to apply to careers and like capitalism has forced that upon us. <laughs> Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's such a good point. Um, Well, anyway, thank you so much for your time. Do you, are you working on anything right now that you can tell us about? 
I am. I'm just about to get my notes back from my agent on my new book. It is a, another rom-com, unsurprisingly, <laughs> and another ensemble, uh, again, unsurprisingly. And it's set uh, at Christmas time. It's set over the holidays. Oh, I really wanted to do, yeah, I really wanted to do a holiday rom-com. So this one, the way into this book was genre. Like I just wanted to do holiday, queer holiday rom-com. Yes. So that was sort of was the that was the assignment I gave myself and it's uh been so fun to work on and a real joy and I'm really looking forward to diving back into the next revision of that (laughs) and those revisions yeah I am very excited because if there is one thing I love it's a holiday (laughs) rom-com yeah well this is this is like a every holiday trope is like hit on the head so hopefully you should enjoy it yeah (laughs) I can't wait um well uh we're recording this in May as I said but Island Time comes out June 14th it's a great book to add to your pride reading list uh as June is pride month but you can also enjoy it all summer long (laughs) and all year long if you want to be transferred transported somewhere um thank you so much for your time Georgia do you have any final thoughts for our listeners um, no, if you want to hang out with me, um, I'm on Instagram at Georgia Lou Clark. My website is georgiaclark.com. I do a monthly mail, uh, newsletter uh, for which has lots of writing tips and behind the scenes of writing life and, and updates on me. So if you want to sign up for that, you can do it on my website. And the, the, the creative group that you have the live shows with, is anyone able to attend those if they're in New York? Yeah, so I host a storytelling night called Generation Women, where we invite a woman or non-binary performer in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s plus to tell an original story on a theme. We have a monthly show at Joe's Pub, the iconic theatre here in Manhattan. So if you want to see me perform and host every month, uh, and we also have live stream tickets, so you can join us live or via live stream, and that's generationwomen.us. Awesome. Well, I didn't know that there was live stream next month. I'll have to definitely check that out. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much for your time. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to chat with Georgia. This is the second time we've gotten to have her on and I'm so looking forward to her uh, queer holiday rom-com out next year because as Ashley has said before, I have, you know, only a few reading <laughs> moods and a holiday read is right up there with a favorite of mine. <laughs> yeah. And I love the concept of having somewhat of an ensemble romance like this. And uh, it is June and we love to celebrate sapphic literature all year long, but especially right now, pick up Georgia's book. It's a great read and it's fun. And we're so happy that we got to speak with her and like we said at the beginning of this episode we are here for you we love you whatever you are feeling right now is so valid and we hope that you know that this is a safe space for you to come whether you need someone to laugh with cry with or find your next sexy book that will provide a little bit of escapism And so until we see you next time, take care of yourself, take care of those around you, and we hope you have a good week. We'll see you next time.